I want to acknowledge that I live, work, and play on the traditional and unceded territory of Coast Salish peoples. You know, weaving, moving, and soulful soundtracks rooted within original and authentic jazz rhythms and soul. John Corbell is in our jazz spotlight today. John, know you're a busy guy. Thanks for taking the time. I'm thrilled to be with you, Ken. It's it's great to see you. Thanks, man. John, first question up, dude. What made you want to be a singer musician? Um, wow. Well, that goes back all the way to childhood, I think. Um, right. I, start I, there. I grew up in a, a big family. Uh, we were all kind of clamoring for our share of the attention. And um, I kind of learned early on that uh, I, I had, uh, you know, some some vocal chops and I could sing a bit stronger than my peers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I, I think I, I, I had the, the seed of it back then. And as I went through school, I got, you know, more and more in, in uh, touch with it and yeah, yeah. Uh, was able to to start putting it to use. Yeah, I was just saying, are you one of those kids that stood on the kitchen table with a spoon in your hand, like a microphone and doing that kind of thing? Not quite. There is um, eight millimeter film of me tap dancing on the kitchen floor. I think ah. somewhere. <laughs> Tapper first. But we're going to keep that under wraps. Uh, we, we won't, won't tell get out. Me. I think my fly may have been open too at the time. Uh, uh, it was uh, not something I want to have go. Uh, exactly viral. <laughs> exactly. Um, and you play a variety of uh, instruments, John. What do you prefer? Well, um, I play um, guitar mainly, yeah, and I do my writing on guitar. I I uh, I can use uh, keyboard, piano, and everything as a, as a, a tool for you know exercises for my voice and for uh, chording and just kind of structures and things. But uh, I you know I would never deem to. Uh, perform live on piano I, you know there are yeah. lots of guys that will do a better job. same with guitar i mean i, I even in the studio uh, for the uh, most of the projects uh, i used session guitarists and and kind of charted up what needed to be done but had somebody better than me do it you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah good stuff so your debut album earthlight released back in 2017 you mixed Latino and Bossa Nova influences, and it was produced by Art Ward of Century Music Group in Nashville. What was that experience like for you, John? Um, that was really fantastic. Um, the uh, uh, I had known Art for, for quite a few years. We had done other um, recording in Nashville prior to that, the sessions that led up to Earthlight. But um, the uh, you know I'd written a number of, of Bossa Nova. Uh, and sort of Latin flavored songs, and yeah. and I thought that you know they they kind of coalesced as as a an individual project, and I got to, got with art, and I said you know here's what I want to do. I I think that we can shape this into a concise thing, and it's an EP, so there are five tracks on it. Um, the session was really uh, amazing because we had some great Nashville. Uh, session guys. Uh, I want to give a shout out to um, Marcus Finney, who was my drummer on that session. Oh. Um, if you're uh, tracking some of the current goings on in jazz, Marcus is touring uh, quite a bit with Kurt Elling and Super Blue. Mm -hmm. And uh, he that and I don't know whether you've listened to any of that stuff, but it's phenomenal. 
Um, Kurt often has the, the a, a horn band called Hunter Tones on, on the, the stuff with him. And it's just, they, I saw them in Philadelphia, just blew my head off. I thought that was just fantastic. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Marcus Finney was on the uh, session. Um, Chris West, a, a saxophone player, has been on a number of, of my projects. He worked on uh, the Mr. Mystery album, and he's on a couple of the tracks and the new record, uh, uh, Falling Feels Like Flying. So right. uh, kind of got uh, acquainted with those guys uh, in Nashville, uh, have been able to utilize them since, or at least Chris, I have. And I've been uh, so thrilled for the success that Marcus has been having and uh, so proud to, to have had him on my project. Yeah. Well, I mean, you surrounded yourself with some really, really, really uh, talented cats from Nashville. That's for sure. Yeah. I, that for me is the big thrill. Um, I, you know, I have to, I have too much respect for actual jazz musicians to try and claim to be one. Really? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a singer. Uh, I, I'm a songwriter. I'm a, primarily a lyricist. I, my writing, generally speaking, starts with lyrics. And uh, what I learned uh, a long time ago is that if I could structure my songwriting in a way that it would be attractive for jazz musicians, because they're the best players, you give them space you know, to run, you're going to have a great track. So that's been the approach that I've taken uh, along the way in that, you know, you're, you know, you're close to the song as the writer, but you have to let go and you have to, you know, allow the producer and allow the, the players to, to, you know, uh, give their input and, and, and really create something beyond what you came to the table with. You know? uh, and you write all your stuff, don't you? Yeah. Everything that's released is, uh, is original. Fantastic. On your album, Miss the Mystery, one of your tunes was described as a funky rock track called That Smile She Can't Understand. How did rock and roll influence your music career and songwriting, John? Um, okay, well, th this is kind of that you listened to, to growing uh, up. my earlier time in Philadelphia. Uh, I uh, was the lead vocalist for a band that actually still is going strong, band, uh, not to be confused with the current um uh, country hip hop singer Jelly Roll. There's a band in Philly called Jelly Roll Jelly that's Roll. been around for a long, long time. Right. And uh, I was the lead vocalist, and it was a a, a very rock oriented um, horn band. We had a three piece horn section, and and um, we were of course doing a lot of you know cover material of anything that was horn oriented. And then uh, we did incorporate uh, some of my writing in, into. Uh, uh, what we did with that band and actually did release a single uh, with that band. And um, I think that um, that smile, the, the song that you asked about is really kind of an attempt to, to recapture some of that. Um, uh, I mentioned Chris West uh, mm. about, you know, the, the other Nashville sessions um, we did. Uh, I, I actually did all the basic tracks for uh, everything on Miss the Mystery, including that smile um in this studio here this is my it was sort of my covid project yeah <laughs> we did it here in orlando uh, for all the basic tracks i have a, a piano in the other room that we might and and get a, a really great piano sound it's a studio grand piano and uh we um but the, a lot of the other tracks uh, well particularly the horns um were done remote uh chris did all the tracking in nashville and i just mixed it here Cool. So the, the the new technology allows you to do stuff like that uh, pretty effectively, and uh, so again, 
that smile she can't understand is is really in many ways kind of a a throwback and a, and a, a homage to uh, Jelly Roll and that whole experience that I had, which was just the best. It's a great band, and I'm so proud to have been part of it, and uh, I'm so proud that they're still going strong as a, as a club band and a function band in, in Philadelphia. Yeah, and uh, who were the bands you listened to growing up? Your influences? Oh, um, I think early on, I, I, uh, I guess high school age, I hung out with like a lot of sort of folk singer-oriented people playing guitars, and and uh, got interested in some of the the folk stuff, and then that uh, eventually turned into an interest in, in bands like Crosby, Stills and Nash, and um, the Eagles, and uh, of course. Prior to Crosby, Stills and Nash was Buffalo Springfield. I listened to a lot of that stuff. Um, but what attracted me um, to that whole sort of the Southern California genre was the writing, the, the lyricism, and the way they approached writing lyrics. Uh, I want to uh, also mention uh, both James and Livingston Taylor uh, were big influences for me. Right. Uh, I actually met Livingston once. Nice guy. Really? And um, Who did you meet him at? Uh, actually, he was he was doing a, a gig in Philadelphia back when I was still living there, and there was a friend of mine who was a, a, a good friend of his that basically told me, "Hey, come along, I'll introduce you." You know, so we went to this club in Philly, uh, folk club that he was playing at, and after the show, uh, got introduced. We uh, actually uh, ducked out for a beer afterwards, and it was a it was a fun time to chat with him. And uh, I actually know that if I ran into Livingston Taylor again, um, he would probably remember that night, even though it was a long time ago, because my friend and he got into an accident on the way back to the hotel. They got cut off by a Winnebago. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, even if Liv does not remember me, he will remember the Winnebago. He remember that event for sure. <laughs> That's the association. Yeah, yeah. Bourbon Street Taps, number one on iTunes UK Jazz Chart, accompanied by an award-winning video of title track. You must be proud of that. I am. Uh, again, a Nashville uh, production uh, with Art Ward, my producer there. And um, that's a, a basic jazz trio uh, arrangement, very stripped down. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that I'm most proud of about that track is that we had uh, Mike Rojas on piano. And uh, you can Google this, but Mike is uh, has now was uh, at that time and since even uh, been the probably the the first call piano player in Nashville for for all sessions. Right. Uh, he is he has a sterling reputation as a session guy, and um, uh, he's uh, an amazing player. And it was interesting. To have a guy like that that's usually doing these country sessions all the time, to get him into Sound Emporium in Nashville with a beautiful grand piano and have him just stretch out on some jazz was, uh, I think, a, a pleasure for him. And certainly what we got as a result was pretty terrific. So, no kidding. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that that's uh, something I'm super proud of. Absolutely. Yeah. And, of course, the video, too. Um, we shot that in New Orleans. And um, I had some uh, terrific luck with that because we shot it during COVID. So the crowds on Bourbon Street were really, really diminished. And it gave us the, the chance to shoot that the way we did without too many people around. And we also had some terrific dancers. If you've seen the video, the, the, uh, the, the uh, 
dancers were, were really great. And um, the whole idea was that both myself, I'm in a suit with, you know, uh, shades and stuff and, and um, everybody else is like modern day dress, tank tops and partying on Bourbon Street. And the dancers and I were supposed to be the ghosts of, you know, New Orleans past, you know, kind of that idea where we're just, you know, the spirit of what used to be there. Yeah. And and uh, that was what the message and the costuming and everything in that was supposed to portray. Yeah. And I think he came across really good. And, and the film festivals that we were uh, accepted for on it, uh, were, you know, were really uh, very well received. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, talk to us about a single called No Better Angels. How did that come about? Um, I don't really do a lot of, of, uh, you know, topical or, or political writing, mm-hmm. but, um, the, the last couple of years I've been struck, uh, by the, um, the, the sad state of, of, uh, uh of refugee children, um, both people trying to get out of, um, North Africa into across the Mediterranean and into Italy and, and Greece and places. And also, sadly, you know, on our own Mexican border here, uh, the things that have been going on with kids. And um, uh, and I, I wanted to a- express sort of an outrage about that. And that's that's really what um, No Better Angels was an attempt at doing. Well, thanks and, for doing that, John. Because and that was another track that we did here. At, at my studio in Orlando. So that was uh, uh, all um, Chris West on the horns and all that. Uh, yeah. yeah, Good for you. Good for us to hear that. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Let's, uh, let's hear a tune from John Corbell on Jazz Spotlight. John Corbell is at our Jazz Spotlight today. John, let's talk about the new album released the 19th of January. Falling feels like flying. I like that. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. It's just been released. The uh, one song I told you about earlier is I, I really felt the groove of being in New York with someone, you know, you love <laughs> just off Central Park West, you know, yeah. and that's the song uh, New York all to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. So thanks. Uh, um, the uh, the idea behind that, and actually the the anecdotes that are kind of related in the song are all true. I, you know, lots of different um, weekend uh, getaways to New York that I've had, and then mm-hmm. tried to put little tidbits of of great experiences that I had. And um, the, I think you know what I was really trying to do was capture you know New York is so romanticized. Um, because of the way it's portrayed in all, all kinds of films, all over, the movies, yes, over seventy-five years of great films and and great classic songs that uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, Autumn in New York and uh, um, I'll Take Manhattan and all these great songs that, right. that I you know, kind of as a, as a songwriter, I kind of had a checklist of different things that you know I wanted to uh, accomplish, and one of them was to write a. a uh, you know, a New York standard, you know, yeah. um, and something that uh, people would gravitate to because it's such a romanticized idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that um, people that go there as, you know, tourists have, a, you know, a, an overly stylized idea of what 
New York is. If you live there and you spend time on a day-to-day basis there, that's not what it is. It's hustle, it's bustle, it's, you know, the subway, it's, you know, it's a whole different vibe. But if you're there just for a few days and, you know, you're hitting a show and going to restaurants or hitting some jazz clubs or something like that, you know, you love New York. (laughs) So the idea was to to take that that kind of romantic attitude that that most people already have about it and capture that and and relay it in kind of a classic style. You know, I wanted to kind of do something that, you know, maybe Sinatra might have done, or certainly I would love to see Michael Buble cover my song, you know, but definitely that, that kind of vibe that I wanted to get across that classic jazz. Um, And, and the track really turned out great. I think it did. I think you managed that. It really gives you that. And you're you're right about that. People go to New York, and I've been there a few times. We have that preconceived idea of from the movies and, and music that what it's like, you know. And you're true. That mm-hmm. is absolutely true. People that are living there tell you the other POV, you know, the other point of view of New York City, yeah. right? Being there yeah. every day. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I really like that too. The album's great. Um, what do you think? What skills have you gained that have helped you in studio as opposed to live performances? Um. I think a little bit of it is what I, I talked about before. Um, you have to have the ability to to, to step away from, you know, again, it's different because I'm a songwriter first and foremost. Uh-huh. And uh, to have the ability to kind of step back, let talented people embrace what we're working on together and uh, and not be, you know, uh, too dogmatic in, in, you know, what you expect the track to be. Right. And um, I was very fortunate. Uh, this is something that that uh, I think a lot of people don't really realize about Orlando, where I live here. Um, there are just a, a huge number of, of really tremendous musicians here, um, many of them that have been here for many years uh, because they had uh, gainful employment at the theme parks, working for Disney and yeah. um, Cirque du Soleil has, uh, has the Lanuba show here that had run for many years, and uh, of course Universal. And so there are all these cats that are here that, you know, it really took me a while to even kind of infiltrate that whole scene because I had never worked at, at Disney or anything. And uh the way I did it was there's, uh, you know, a couple of jazz clubs in the Orlando area where these guys will go and play the real stuff, you know, when yeah. they're not uh, doing their day job at the, with, the, with the theme parks and stuff. And um, we uh, were able to gather together. My producer, Mark Falchuk, is a, an amazing keyboardist. He did all the arranging. Um, and... Um, uh, Elaine Bradet, who uh, is uh, our, our saxophonist on many of the tracks, he's on the uh, the New York track. Um, he was for many years in the pit band uh, for Cirque du Soleil. So, you know, there's this incredible um, uh, kind of source of talent that's available here. What, that a, what an environment. We're able to tap into and, and do these sessions with these great guys. I mean, yeah. everybody on, on the album is, is just fantastic. Well, so I was just saying, you, you, what an environment you created. I mean, yeah, big mix of you know talent, right? Yeah, and I would stack these guys up right alongside anybody I ever I ever worked with in Nashville. Mm-hmm. They're just phenomenal. What is your favorite venue to perform, John? My favorite venue? Yeah, a venue. Well, or... well I, I'm I'm 
used to the more intimate settings of a, a jazz club. I haven't you know, transcended anything much beyond that in terms of size. I've done a few big gigs over the years, but but uh, um, mostly the you know to be able to be on a stage and you know look at somebody sitting at a table and look right into their eyes while you're singing. That's yeah. you know that's that's a special thing. Special and everything thing. starts with the writing, and you're a songwriter first. Absolutely, for me, that's if I wasn't writing, I don't think I'd be doing this anymore. Um, you know, I, I it, the writing is what's kept me going. It's it's what I wanted to. That's where the ambition lies. I think is yeah. to try and and come up with that next song you're proud of. You know, yeah. Watch you know, the idea of being able to feel like the next thing you do is the best thing you've ever done. Of course, <laughs> no, John. You know what? You've never been better. Yeah. Right. Well, you. Look at it though. We move forward in life. We never get better. We yeah. keep learning, right, yeah. and growing and expanding and all that kind For of sure. Thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I watched your interview with K, uh, WKMG Florida. Uh, you played a Christmas song on there. You sang right. a song on there with your guitar, which is cool. Right. You also released a Christmas album with a song called December 10th, She Made the Most of Christmas. Tell us about that, Tim. Um, you know, it's funny. That song is as much <laughs> a Mother's Day song as it is a Christmas song. Oh, uh, I literally recorded the vocal on Mother's Day when we were working on it. And I didn't realize it at the time. You know, it was kind of a coincidence that, you know, the, after the session, I realized that it, it, it was Mother's Day and my, my mom had been gone for, you know, past, uh, you know, years before. So it wasn't like I missed Mother's Day or anything. But um, the, the song was just my mom was one of those uh, people that was just uh, crazy about Christmas and um, getting the opportunity to get all the decorations out and get that process started every year was something that was just always a big deal to her. And my birthday happens to be on December 10th. So she always used my birthday as kind of the, the starting gun, <laughs> you know? So she would be like, this is as good a day as any, let's get the stuff out and start putting it out. You know, yeah. it's after Thanksgiving and, uh, you know, here in the States, we have Thanksgiving in, in November. Right. Uh, I've been in actually in Canada for, for Thanksgiving. I was up in Ottawa one time during Thanksgiving in Canada, which is in October. Cool. And uh, that was great too. Yeah, but, yeah. So Thanksgiving, uh, it, it was already passed. So, you know, getting the Christmas decorations out on my birthday seemed like a sensible thing to my mom. <laughs> so that's what she would often do. Yeah. Good job. Good and job. I tried to just capture, you know, that that uh, emotion about my mom and, and uh, our family's uh, uh, love for her and her love for Christmas. Right. Good job. Um, your new album's falling feels like flying it's out now um mm -hmm. what is what's next for you john corbell um i'm hoping to do uh, a lot more live dates uh you know ho hopefully as as the the record uh, gets some traction and, and we get some attention based on that uh, uh my my hope and and uh, expectation is that uh you know i want to do some live dates and hopefully even some festivals that would be really exciting yeah. um and uh uh, I'm hoping that that all kicks into gear here as the the springtime and summer starts to fall into place and that those outdoor events start happening. So we'll, we'll see. You, you've been open for Jay Leno at one point. Yeah, that was, um, uh, it, it was, to be honest, it was before Jay Leno was the huge well, Jay Leno that the right. USA came to know. But uh, he was already pretty big then. It was, it was a, a kind of a, a nightclub venue. A uh, large one, and uh, it was a great experience. And uh, uh, I had 
uh, that kind of dropped in my lap and it was a really exciting time to, yeah. Yeah. to, to be able to get that kind of exposure in front of a guy that's that amazing. You know? Yeah. 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 He was uh, in Vancouver here. He, he, there was a comedy club here. He worked. He used to actually help set up the tables, you know, and right. candle on the table. And yeah, No, he was a journeyman. He, he, yeah, yeah. he, he worked his butt off for years, years uh, to get where he got. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, he was, a, he was a, uh, uh, you know, certainly at the time I opened for him, he was easily the the number one club comic. In yeah, the for sure. Um, you know, he wasn't. On, you know, he had been on the Tonight Show as a guest and a guest host quite a bit by that point. Yeah. Um. So he was. You know, he was pretty big then, but he even went on to be. Uh, yeah. Greater. You know, as time went on and more of hey, a John. an icon. You know. Okay, John, here we go. Time for sentence completion. I'm going to begin oh. a sentence. I want you, I want you okay. to complete or finish the sentence with the first thing that comes to mind. Really? The lightning round. Okay. Ready? Here we yeah. go. John Corbell, one of my best qualities is? Um, My hair. <laughs> Would you believe this man has this hair? No, I, I, yeah. The kind of situation where I show my true colors is? Oh, um, partying with friends. Yeah. <laughs> hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Hanging out. Number three, what my best friend likes most about me is. Um, ooh, I guess I'd be talking about uh, a woman friend and it would be my smile. Yeah, you got a good smile. Fantastic. John Corbell has been recognized from the Queen Palm International Film Festival, New Hope Film Festival, and the Richmond International Film Festival, among others. John Corbell, thank you for being in our jazz spotlight today, my friend. Keep smiling. And it was a pleasure. And thanks to everybody at uh, Easy. Thank you.